right, so as we celebrate the start of another 12-month cycle of serving in our community, serving in our cities that we live and uh, doing what Jesus called us to do, which is to live beautiful lives here as in heaven with the mentality of heaven, but doing so here on earth, uh, we're going to anchor our hearts on a passage of scripture that comes to us in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking, and I'm calling this message, by the way, a grain of salt and a beam of light. A grain of salt and a beam of light. A grain of salt and a beam of light. Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, one more scripture, if you would humor me, from Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, where we read, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, or oh, how happy, literally, in the original language, is the man who trusts in him. Here's my theory. My theory is that Everybody can find what their soul is longing for in a relationship with Jesus. To trust in Jesus, to find your worth in him, to find your value in him, to find your identity in him, to anchor your life in Jesus is to come to a place where you look up and you go, I'm blessed. I trust in Jesus. My soul has found what it craves. I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. I love that those, those are used, those are sensual descriptives. You just taste and see. To taste and see, right? We, because that's vivid. That's not religion, by the way. You don't walk away from religion and go, I tasted and I saw, right? You're like, I endured and I, <laughs> I, I sat through it. I, I, I survived. But when we think about a relationship, that's taste. It's no mistake that the Bible uses this idea of a marriage to to help us understand properly how amazing and beautiful God wants our relationship with Jesus to be. Because in your relationship, taste, right? Your your lips taste like wine. That's that's what the Song of Solomon talks about. I'm intoxicated. I'm enchanted. Your lips are like like honey, right? There's 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 a taste to relationship. Relationship tastes beautiful. And in relationship employs the idea of, of something your eyes drink in. I know what I've been gone from my family for a while, and I finally see my bride. She's a sight for sore yeah. eyes. When I see my babies, when I see my kids, FaceTime's great. I'm thankful for FaceTime. Pictures are great. I'm thankful for pictures. I, I was preaching in Beverly Hills this week to an event, 2,000 women, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was so much estrogen in that room. I'm not even, I'm not even, I don't even know what to do with it, right? And it was me and Lisa Harper, and she's up there preaching, talking about what happens when she jumps on a trampoline. And I'm like, I don't want to know anything about this. I don't want to know anything about this. I don't want to know anything about this. La, 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 you know? 
and, and I'm preaching and, and, and my, my, my kids, my kids were, were doing something and their babysitter was sending pictures. And I'm telling you, it's amazing to see a photo, but when I got home, they're a sight for, when, when they run into my arms, when I get to hug them and kiss them and smell their heads. And this is, I, I, I drink them. I'll eat you up. I love you so. God wants you to love him like that. God wants you to have a relationship. He wants to eat you up. He loves you so. He, you're a sight for his sore eyes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But let me ask you a question. How can the world taste and see if we're not the salt and light? The world, sermon and sentence, can't taste and see if we're not the salt and light. And to tell us more about this, would you help me welcome your, your campus pastor to the platform? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, man. Well, hello. Thank you so much. And thank you, Pastor Levi. You can go ahead and take a seat. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Chris. I have the joy of being the campus pastor here in Kalispell. And my wife, Allie, and I absolutely love this house. And it's an honor to share the platform today uh, and share out of this passage in Matthew 5. Now, if you know anything about this, you know this is from Jesus's most famous sermon that he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I've heard it said that this is one of the purest iterations of Christianity of all time. So no big deal. One commentator called it the manifesto of the king, which is like the most epic phrase ever. But what that means for us is that regardless of your opinion, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of really what you think, if you are a follower of Jesus who spoke these words, these aren't suggestions that we're meant to consider. This is a lifestyle. This is an identity that we're meant to become. We are meant to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, a grain of salt and a beam of light in this world. So I wanna look at these analogies and just kind of explore in our time what this looks like for us as we fight to own this and then see God do work through it. Are you ready to get to work? Yeah. All right, let's do it. The first analogy we see is salt. And that really is a description of the participation we're meant to have. That's the first point, participation. Now, to be clear, we don't really have a choice if we're gonna participate. We live here, it's, it's kind of a non-negotiable, but we do get to decide what our participation in this world will look like. And Jesus gives us what that is meant to be in verse 13. He said, we're meant to be the salt of the earth. Now, in the times when Jesus said this, uh, salt had three distinct purposes. It was a preservative. Believe it or not, they didn't have refrigerators, so they would put salt on their food to keep it pure and fresh. Uh, they used it as an antiseptic. When people would get injured, they would put salt on wounds to be able to catalyze the healing process. And it was also uh, a seasoning, like we still use today, to enhance flavors. And in those same ways, we are meant to be salt in the people's lives around us. We're meant to be preservatives of the word of God. We're meant to embody what that looks like in this world. Our culture right now uh, is one that is so thirsty for meaning and for purpose, where truth is relative and absolutes, if they exist at all, are seen to be hateful. And we are designed and meant to live in contrast to that as we look like the word of God. And so what this looks like for us, this means that we have to know the word of God. We have to be crazy about what God said. We have to tremble before God's word and know it because we can't represent a word that we don't know. And we can't represent a character of God that we don't know. We need to know that. And as we do that, that has to transform us so that we can live lives of integrity. This means that when you're at home, 
by yourself, when you're at home with your spouse, when you're at work, when you're neighbor, in your neighborhood, you are the same person and you are imperfectly striving to glorify God. That is what we're called to do. It's such a, a, a heavy task that God has put on us, but it's something that will preserve his truth and his image in this world. And we're also meant to live as a spiritual antiseptic. Now you and I both know this, we are surrounded constantly by people who are hurting and broken and wounded. Even in this room, there's people who are hurting and our presence in their lives, our participation in their story should catalyze and bring about the healing that God wants for them. We're also meant to be a seasoning to enhance and flavor up the lives of the people around us. You should bring a spark of life wherever you go. Yeah. All right, by show of hands, how many of you have ever had a food that was like crazy bland? Not a little bit, like a lot bland. Okay, good, I'm glad you can relate. My wife and I were out to dinner with some friends a while back and we had like offensively bland food. Like it, we, I took a bite and it was like, it's not gross. It's just existing. It's just there. If it was a color, it would have been beige. And in that moment, I realized the value of salt. I doused that thing and it brought out the flavors that were in the dish. And in the same way, you and I need to be people who enhance the lives of others. So my question for you is this, ask yourself this, what is the aftertaste that you leave behind? When you leave a group of people, are they thankful you were there? Are they more optimistic? Are they more hopeful? Or are they more frustrated, more validated in their discontentment? A little bit of salt can go a long way in us being the salt of the earth and enlivening up the lives of the people around us. William Barclay, he put it this way. He said, there should be a sheer sparkle about the Christian, but too often he dresses like a mourner at a funeral and talks like a specter at a feast. Wherever he is, if he is to be the salt of the earth, the Christian must be the diffuser of joy. I love that so much. I love that picture. All right, anybody have an essential oils diffuser in your house? All right, anybody sitting next to someone who obviously has it? I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So what those do is they take a little bit of oil and it fills the volume of the room and it changes the atmosphere. In the same way, if we are diffusers of joy, we should, when we step into a room, change the atmosphere. We should bring joy wherever we go and the people that we're around should be blessed by association. This is how we're made to live. This means that if we're gonna be the salt of the earth inside and outside of the church, as we're participating in Kalispell, going to soccer games, going to coffee shops, going to the gym, this means that wherever we are, we are preserving the nature and the character and the word of God as we go. We're looking for hurting people to bring hope and healing to, and we bring life wherever we go. So that's our participation. We are called to be the salt of the earth. And that brings me to the second thing is our perspective that we're meant to shine on who God is. And we do that by bringing light. We shine perspective by shining light. Think of it this way, if, if salt is what we do, then the light we bring is the outcome of it. And Jesus saying that you are the light of the world isn't a, a flippant thing. If you can believe this, this like blows my mind, I can't even imagine. This is a day where they didn't have electricity. I know, there's like a collective gasp, it's crazy. And so when he says that you are the light of the world, he's referring to something that was so crucial in their day and so, so important. And in the same way that salt had three main purposes, uh, so did light. 
Really the biggest and the, the most uh, well-known really is that it's life-giving. If you know anything or you remember your middle school biology classes about photosynthesis, the photosynthesis process is sunlight coming into a plant, giving it nutrients, and then it allows it to grow and cultivate life. And in the same way, you and I are called to be life givers to people around us. We need to be people who are encouraging, who speak life, who believe the best about people not constantly posting on Facebook all the things wrong with the world or gossiping about people behind their back. Allie and I have kind of coined a new phrase called godly gossip, where we talk well about people behind their back. It's one of my favorite things in the world to be able to tell someone, oh my gosh, my wife and I were talking about you and we just couldn't believe how humble and wise and amazing, like that's, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be kind and winsome and attractive in this world. And as we do, we get to shine a perspective on the heart of God for that person. A different aspect of light that the church is meant to emulate as we shine this perspective is that it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. This is a cool fact. Did you know that if you take all the colors of the spectrum of light and shine them in the same place at the same time, you know what color it gets? You didn't sound super confident. Anybody try this with crayons growing up? That's what I did. I was surprised. It turns white. It's amazing. And in the same way, when all of us bring the different giftings and the perspectives and the proclivities and the abilities that God has put inside of us, as we're individually living as beams of light, we bring them together and we get to shine the beautiful white light of Jesus. And it transforms lives. This is how we're meant to live, not just doing this individually, but doing this corporately as well. And the third aspect of light that we're meant to embody is that it's invasive. It's invasive. This, this verse that we just read, it described uh, an experience that they had. They took this lamp and they put it on a stand and they, it shined light for everyone in the house. And the assumption that you and I can make from reading that is that they shined it at nighttime because they didn't have electricity and there's not really need for light during the day. And I think that's important for us to note because it's in the dark low moments of life that you and I are meant to shine the brightest. Not when things are going well, but when things fall to the ground, when you see hurting people, when you see grieving people, hopeless people, that's when the light that's within us should shine a perspective on God the brightest. This means that when people are hurting, we are the first to show up with a meal and tell them they, that we love them, that God loves them and that he sees them. This means that we're the first ones when we see a moving truck come through our neighborhood to show up, knock on the door, introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm Chris, I'd love to help you move in. I love moving couches. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> True story. This means that we rock this city and we unleash Christ's love right where we live. We need to invade the darkness. This means that you and I should be a smiling people. There's scientific data that talks about the impact that a single smile can have on somebody. What if we as a church were a smiling church where we went around Kalispell and just brightened it up as we go about our lives? That's how we're meant to live as we invade the dark spaces. And as we do, we shine a perspective on the character of God. That's such a beautiful thing for people to see. And as we do both of these things, as we live our lives as a grain of rice and we live our lives as a beam of light, God unleashes his purpose. That's the third thing. We get to tap into God's ultimate purpose that we were created for. 
And in this passage at the end, we see this. It says we do all these things. We, we shine our light as he's describing. We are the salt of the earth. And he talks about what that is and what that's not, what happens if we do and don't. And then with the, with the light of the world, and he talks about what that looks like. And then he says, we do all these things so that men may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The good deeds are how we should live, and the outcome and the motive for us is the glory of God. And that phrase, good deeds, I did a little bit of digging into the Greek, and uh, there's, two good, there's two words for good in the Greek. The first is agathos, and it means good in quality. Like, like this is a good table. That's a good chair. That's not the word that's used. It's kalos, which is the second word. And it means it's not only good in quality, but it's also attractive and winsome and beautiful. That is how we're meant to live our lives. We're meant to be so beautiful, so attractive to people, so winsome, not so that we win people to us, but so that we win people to God. We're meant to live lives that are so great, not so people think we are great, but so they know that our God is great. And when we do this, he is glorified. That's why we exist. That's why we live. We, were, we live for his glory. We were saved for his glory. We serve for his glory. And when we own this, people can see who God is, and they can taste and see and put their faith in him and be the blessed ones that our Bible has talked about. It's a huge responsibility. So my question for you is, how's that going so far? It's hard. Consider this. If how you live your life was the only picture of God that someone ever had, of how he loves, of if he loves, of how intimately he cares for someone, of how he fights for people, if somebody watched your life and gathered conclusions about the God that you serve, would they, would they worship him? Would they be able to see your good deeds and then glorify your father in heaven? Or would they walk in the opposite direction? Brennan Manning uh, famously put it this way. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. People see too many Christians not being salt and not being light. They see too many Christians either participating in the wrong way, in a way that doesn't honor God, or they see them representing a heart that doesn't actually belong to God, but they ascribe it to him because of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Let that never be said of us. I pray, my prayer for our church is that we, we would be a people who own this, this heavy responsibility of glorifying God as we live lives of salt and light, as we honor him. Isaiah 58 talks about both what it looks like and the outcome as we live this out. I wanna speak this over us. Isaiah said, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, fresh life, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water in your, your, whose waters do not fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. 
You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Fresh life, let this be us. Let us own this responsibility. Let us rise into the calling that God has given us as a church, as believers, as followers of him, and watch as his glory transforms this valley and beyond. Amen? Amen. Back to you, Pastor. Come on. Hey, let's honor these men of God who have done such a great job this weekend. Honestly, uh, we love these campus pastors, uh, these, these men and their wives who, who lead out across the church. Jenny, uh, Jenny and I are so grateful uh, to collaborate with them. We have a great team, never better than right now. We've, we've spent a lot of time with them this year and um, just really love, 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 love what God is doing. And it's just incredible to get to see the, the talent and spirit of all, all these leaders in this house. Amen. So we want that, that participation, we want that perspective, and we want that purpose to tap into that because the world can't taste and see if we are not salt and light. And that's why to Jesus' followers, he goes, don't be, don't be a light hidden under a bucket. That's ridiculous. You're meant to be a city on a hill. The brightness of light and how far that can shine. You think about during World War II, when there was the blackout period, something like eight months in England where there were just bombing runs after bombing runs from the Germans. And, and so everyone did what they needed to do. They shut the curtains. They shut the lights out because they realized that, that a single candle can shine for miles. A si there's this power in light. Your light is meant to shine. Your salt is meant to, to get out. Now, you think about how cool it is when we read a passage like this and we discover the origin of some, some of those phrases that you hear. Because you might, you might hear language from the Bible in society. Someone might go, how's that dude? That dude? Oh, that guy's legit. For real? Yeah, salt of the earth. Why do we say that? It's because of Jesus. You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. The reason we use that phrase is because Jesus said that's what his followers are meant to look like. So the great compliment we would give to someone is actually what Jesus said his people should be like. It, it is an honor to be trusted with the name of Jesus. Have you ever seen someone at a restaurant spill the salt? You ever seen that happen? What do they do? If they're a real weirdo, they'll crawl under the table and come out the other side. Have you ever seen someone that hardcore? That's actually a thing. They'll actually crawl under the table. Uh, but most people will just grab a little bit of it. And what do you do? You want to know why? Judas Iscariot supposedly spilled the salt at the Last Supper. And in Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of the Last Supper, if you look closely, there is a spilled salt container on the table. And it was Leonardo da Vinci's way of saying that Judas was saying to Jesus, no, I won't do what you called me to do. I'm not going to be the salt like you've called me to be. And his turning over of the salt on his way out to betray him was his way of saying, I'm not going to take the Great Commission. I'm not going to follow you. I'm doing my own thing. It's, it's real possible to not follow Jesus' command to be the salt. But I think that, 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 that Leonardo kind of had it wrong. I think the, the way to disregard Jesus' orders isn't to spill the salt, it's to keep the salt in the container. There's this big trend these days, it's popping up all over the country, and it's people who lie in salt tanks <laughs> and just float around. Just, you want to go float in the salt tank? And I'm like, no. I actually, I actually really, really, really don't want to do that. I think that's actually all too often a perfect picture of the church. 
we've got this precious gospel message and we're just rolling around in it. We're just floating around our little church. Isn't it so great to be saved? Yeah, let's have another, let's have another potluck. Pass the KFC, brother, right? While the world's out there going to hell, we're just up in here drinking our own bathwater. I'm telling you something, the way to honor Jesus is to get the salt out of the tank. The way to honor Jesus is to get the salt out into the world. The way to honor God is to get the salt where it's meant to go. Y'all, y'all, that's how we can be worth our salt. Do you know that in the Roman Empire, salt was a part of the compensation package for a soldier? In, in fact, they were given a salarium every time they were paid. Every time your employer gives you your salary, that's our version of salarium, which translated directly just means salt money. So if someone wasn't worth their salt, it means they didn't pull freight in the army. We all need to be doing our part to get the salt out of the tank or we're not worth our salt. Come on, he gave us his love. We've tasted and seen. We've been set free. We have his spirit. He's given us his name. Let's get that salt out of the tank. Let's, let's love, let's serve, let's continue to give. It's good for the world. It's also good for us. They say uh, an act of kindness done for someone else releases the exact same things into your bloodstream that antidepressants do. So it will make us feel better to, to live a life of service and generosity doing, you walk away, like you might be tired, you, you, might, you, might, you might be a little bit behind when you go back to bed. I'm telling you, so you're going to feel better. You've done something for someone else. I want to close our time out with um, a verse from the book of Ephesians that I preached one time at Easter. And uh, I love it so much because it's an invitation to the dead to live. It's great Easter text, right? Uh, an invitation to the dead to live, which is so great on so many levels. But here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter five. He says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. You know, it's, it's deadness on the inside. That was the reason God sent his son to this world. We've said it this way before, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came so dead men could live. And when they come to life, when you come to life, when I come to life in Christ, we taste and we see that he is good. It's, it's I was dead and I'm now alive. I, I, I was looking for value, now I found it. I, I was thirsty, but now I've, I, I've I found what, what I was aching for all along. And I, I taste and I see that you are good. And the way God gets us there is he, he, he puts people in our lives who, who are that salt and who are that light so that we can come to life, which he equates with seeing the light. Awake from your, your deadness and, and Christ will give you light. Coming to know Jesus, where you once thought this, but now you, 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 you see him as lovely, you see him as worthy. It's, it's seeing the light. Seeing the light. I see what I didn't see before. I now see, I saw, I saw the light. That's salvation. 
we, listen to me, are out, out there in the world to be the salt so the world can see the light. There's one last way that, that salt shows up in our day and it's in little tubes like this. It's actually ammonia, but we call it smelling salt. When a football player gets knocked down, when a wrestler is just doesn't have any more, power lifter, ugh. oh God, Alan. Oh, never done that before. The salt does no good. Jesus, help me. The salt does no good in the tube. It's got to get out. If we don't spill the salt, the world can't see the light. So that's our commission. That's our responsibility. Man, that's intense. That's our honor. It's, it's mostly up in here. And that's why we got to live a lifestyle rocking this city in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful. Hop up to your feet every location if you're sitting. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us to be a city set on a hill, to be that light shining, to be that salt. And Jesus, we recognize that we can't be light if we've never been lit. And so we ask as your followers for you to light us afresh with your fire. We know salvation brings us into a relationship with you. But you said, if we ask the Father, you'll give us the filling of the Spirit. So I just wanna give space and time in our service at this moment. I feel led to just say, have you come to Jesus as Savior, but never received that promise of the Father of the Spirit's power on your life to cause you to shine brightly? If so, this is a moment in time we'd like to make available for you to ask the, the Lord to give you a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You can't be that light if you've never been lit. So here's a moment in time for you to say, I would like the Holy Spirit to come upon me in a new way, to give me my gifts, to give me strength, to, to help me to see the opportunities, to give me a divine enabling. There comes a moment in time when, when you just realize that and you just say, I want that Holy Spirit power on my life. It's not weird. It's not like some super creepy thing. It's, it's, it's divine, but it's natural supernatural. And so here in this moment, if you're a believer and you would like for God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to give you that light, to give you that strength, could I just ask that you just raise a hand up in the air? Or if you've been given that gift you've asked for, but you'd like to, to, to be refilled, which is my prayer every day. And every time I preach to be refilled with the Spirit, could you just raise your hands to the, to the Lord as an expression of you saying, I want God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. Light us on fire so that the world could see us burn. We ask this, Jesus, because you said we should. You said a father who is good will give good gifts to his kids, even earthly dads. And you are heavenly father. How much more will you be willing to give us the spirit if we ask? So we ask for you to give us the Holy Spirit. We ask for you to set our hearts on fire. We ask for you to, to do what, what only you can do deep down in the core of our being. Help us to once again taste and see that you are good, to walk in the blessing that is the property of those who trust in you. Thank you, Jesus.